Well, praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be back in London with the best church in all of England. Amen. What was that, Claudette? Sound like I'm at a football game in America. Oh, it's good to be I flew in yesterday morning uh, from Florida where we were just finished celebrating Thanksgiving. Y'all know what Thanksgiving is? It's where we all get bigger in America because we take a whole day off to eat and cook a big meal and celebrate and thank God for what he's done in our life and our country. And, um, and it's a big family day. Actually, I was having a great meal and then I went to the beach in my shorts and t-shirt. Thank you, sir. And um, then I went home and started packing to come to London. I pulled out my coat, my scarf. And now I'm leaving Tuesday to go someplace colder than London, Siberia. Oh, so if you see my face, don't go, oh, God bless. No, pray a prayer for Brother Robert. Because I'm over on the mission field. I have to fly to Moscow and then go from Moscow to the 25th time zone get on a train and go 17 hours up into Siberia. I'm still a missionary. So I've got long johns to go underneath, my nice, beautiful American suits. So we're going to be doing that. Then I come back to London for about five days to thaw out. How's that? And see all my friends and things. But it's good to see all of you again and to welcome all those that are watching by the Internet. We know that you're there, and God does too. And uh, so I've been so busy in America that I want to come back to London and uh, enjoy my KT life. I miss you so much. Miss you, miss you so much. And um, if I could move, I would. I'm praying every day, God, London, oh, London, please, London, ooh, you know, anything. But... Um, who knows what God may do? I'm willing to do anything and have a good time. I miss you so much, but I'm glad to be back with you tonight and to see the team. And I hear there's more babies. Esteban had a baby this morning. Did you know that? He had a baby girl. Is that right, Pastor Bruce? A little girl popped out this morning for Esteban. So, and I just saw Daniel and Lisa's baby that was a football size. Now it's personality size. So it's growing and having a good time. So it's good to be with all of you. I'm so glad the Bible school is going forward and getting all of its, uh, its things from the government that tortured me while I was here. So praise God the breakthrough came. And if you're going uh, into ministry, KT Bible School is the, one of the best schools in all of Europe, all the world to come to. So don't go to a, some stupid school. Come to a school that can train you and equip you at the same time. Amen? You should clap on that point, all right? And um, may I say that the ministry team here at KT is still one of the best teaching teams in the world. So put a value on your time that you're here and your membership here and utilize it and enjoy it and don't take it for granted. And don't get lost in London's variety of flavors. Know where home is at and stay at home. You can visit other places and be blessed, but you have to come back for home cooking. Home cooking is the best. Amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. That's where we'll start tonight. <clears throat> we have, uh, I've written a new book since I was here, and uh, I should say I expanded and brought it out, and it's back there on the, the book table, called The School of the Spirit, How to Walk in the Spirit and Not Come Out No Matter What You're Facing. It's a great book. Bill Johnson wrote the forward for me. And so, and then my heaven book. How many of you like the five o'clock service? 
Did you enjoy that? So if you haven't read the book, you can get both of those back there at the book table, and, they'll, and I'll hang out afterwards and autograph and hug your necks and gossip. How's that? That was a joke. It died, but it was a joke, okay? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Ephesians 4 and verse 8, I want to go talk about gifts and callings tonight. In the last few months, the Lord's been dealing with me more to <clears throat> help people understand giftings and callings, to stir them back up in it, and to, uh, to help. So I want to address some of those things here tonight. Ephesians 4 and verse 8 is our opening verse. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and this is the phrase I want you to underline, and gave gifts unto men. Notice two things here in this last phrase. First, the word gifts is italicized, meaning more than one. A person can have more than one gift in their life. They can have gifts. And the word mankind, make this point for you, does not just mean men only. The word man there means all of mankind, men and women. And everybody said? Amen. So let me put a plug in for women. Women can do anything a man can do if they meet the same requirement. Did God tell you to do it? Thank you for the four grunts out there. Amen. Amen. So don't ever be caught up in being uh, on the opposite side of supporting those who God has chosen to do certain things that are women. Be on the cheerleader side. Be on the financing side. And if there's any defense to be done, we men should defend the right of a woman to preach and to obey the call of God on her life. Amen. It shouldn't be up to them to do it themselves. Now that's 15 claps and there's a thousand people here. Are you going to clap or not? <clears throat> I may like British, but I'm still American. Which means I like amens when I preach sometimes. Is that all right? You haven't lost that ability, have you? Do you have to resurrect that too? All right. He gave gifts unto man. Now, one thing I'd like to say here too, for a teaching purpose, I'll make this differentiation. Talents and gifts. Now, you may differ with this, and it's fine, but I do this as for a teaching purpose. I believe that God gave talents to the human race, and that would be natural abilities. For example... Whitney Houston had a great talent. She could sing like a mockingbird. Beautiful. I saw her in concert years ago before she married her crazy husband and got all goofed up. And so when she was in the beginning of her career, I got to, her drummer was a partner. And he heard me say, I like Whitney. He said, I can get you in. I said, you're my best friend. <laughs> and so I got to go into the concert at the LA big auditorium, the forum there. Sit on the 18th row next to her mother, who I didn't know was her mother until I started talking to her. And so when Whitney Houston came out and began to sing, she can't dance worth five cents. But when you can sing that good, you don't worry about dancing. And she sat there for, not sat there, but she sang for about two and a half hours. I mean, just as beautiful as anything. And that cannot be anything but a talent from God. Beautiful as it is. And so God gives talents to people. Some have talents in different types of fields of entertainment or politics or careers. But gifts to me, for tonight's teaching purpose, I will call that a spiritual gifting. There are those who have been given certain types of giftings that are to help the body of Christ and help the soul of society. And so God gave gifts and talents, and nobody on this planet 
is born without one or both of these. So you say, well, I don't have any. That's because you have not discovered yours. Everybody was born an original. Please don't die a copy. Write that down. God made everybody have some things that are similar, but then there's a point when we all go into uniqueness and specialty. And whatever that is, do it with all your heart, all your soul, and let it shine. And don't let goofy people make you feel weird for being special or unique. Amen? People used to make fun of me because I ran around as a teenager and always would have in my school, I would have my school books and I would have a Christian biography of some Christian leader or saint or revival movement with my school book. So when we got through with our lessons and we had 15 minutes or 10 minutes in the class before we changed or went home, I would pull out and read this book. They made fun of me, but I'm glad I didn't give in to all their joking because it's made me famous. It's blessed my life. God's used that uniqueness to love the story of great men and women to be able to bless thousands, if not millions, around the world through my writings. And I'm so, I'm so glad I didn't die a copy. I'm glad I stayed an original. Amen. So you stay an original too. All right, go to James, the first chapter. James chapter 1 and verse 17. Everybody smile. It's church. It's not suicide. Something good's going to happen to you. God likes you and I like you too. James 1, verse 17, keep your Bibles up because we're going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight. Every good gift, including yours, and every perfect gift, including yours, is from above. Lucifer doesn't give gifts. He corrupts and manipulates gifts, but he can't give gifts. Amen? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning every good gift, every perfect gift. To me, one way you can explain the perfect gift is God uniquely gifted everybody in his great wisdom. Not one of you is ill-willed a gifted. When God formed you in the womb and your body was being made and the shell that your gift would sit in, God put together the right gift the right personality, in the right family, in the right nation, in the right city, at the right time for you to be born then and special and correct. Amen. There is no mistakes. Well, my family was crazy, but you made it. And you still got it. Well, they're still crazy, but you're still breathing. So don't let the challenges of your family or the ups and downs of your life make you discredit God's wisdom and how he put you together with gifting, family, personality, geographical location. I was born in the right family to the right tribe at the right time in the right city of this earth. I was not late. I was not early. I was exactly on time like you. When they say, well, you were born out of season. You're late, I'm not. <laughs> Don't let that type of mindset make you feel odd where you have to change what you are, lower it, or pull it back to some degree where everybody can accept it. Your gift should be at maximum level. That's where the fun's at. And if they don't like it, 
they can change the channel. But you don't change. Cheers. That's why we have 500 channels in America. You can keep changing channels. But you don't change. Amen? Let's go to Proverbs now and go a little bit deeper. Proverbs 18. We've discovered here by these two verses that God has given everybody gifts and talents. We hope that you will figure out what yours are and not copy somebody else, but be what you are. But verse 16 of Proverbs 18 says this, a person's gift makes room for them and brings them before great men or great people. Every gift, this verse says, has two abilities. Number one, your gift, my gift, and you that are watching me, your gift, has this first thing this verse says, has room-making ability for you. You do not have to play political games to find acceptance. Your gift that God gave you is like a tip of a spear. And when it starts to function and flow out of you, it goes boom in society. And it moves back all the pressures, attitudes, and woe and makes room for you to walk straight in and say, Hello world, I'm here. Your gift has room-making ability for every single one of you. You don't have to kiss religious butt to be a success. I'm back. Okay? You don't... Love you. You don't have to play the wrong type of networking games to find acceptance. Now, I know the word networking in our society is making friends and learning who's who and what's what. I appreciate that. But sometimes certain people think we got to network and play the game to find the way to get to the top and got to get to know this person, to know that. Your gift delivers you from that, that type of activity. <clears throat> Your gift has in its capacity the ability to walk straight into any part of society that you're called to be in, boom, and push back everything that has to be pushed back to make room for you and your life to walk straight in in a comfortable, relaxed, powerful fashion and be with no butt kissing or game playing, just be. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. Your God-given gift has that. It makes religious politicians so angry because they can't control you. Because you didn't play the game of scratching each other's backs, playing the pulpit games or the political games or the business games or whatever world that you're called to. You walk in and they don't know how to deal with you because they can't accept that you're sincere and you're really just obeying God. And you showed up because there was space for you. And they, what? How did you get here? Well, I walked from the back door back through here, went up to the green room, changed my shirt, and came out. Same thing goes for you. A person's gift 
makes room for them. Number two, and brings you before great people. Not just of your career, but great people in your generation. Now, this part of the verse tells us that gift has a self-promoting ability that is correct inherent in it. Your gift, if nourished and operated correctly with, has the ability to pull you out of the gutter of slum living, of bad talk, bad attitude, bad friends, and put you in a world of accomplishers, achievers, great people doing great things with a different attitude than all this in the bottom of all this. I remember the day in my life when God delivered me from small-minded, negative, picky little pastors. Woo! Praise the Lord. <laughs> At that time in my life, it seemed like every fourth church was a good church. The other three was torture. And I'm like, I love you, Jesus, but your kids are crazy. <laughs> and those that are called pastors are more lunatic than the other bunch. Now, that's not true. That's the way it seemed to me at that moment. Because a lot of them were mad because of this elder or this usher or the last guest speaker. And they were always full of negativity and, 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 and complaints and slander and things. I just thought, I can't live like this. But I remember the day it changed for me. I got a call from Oral Roberts' secretary and said, Dr. Roberts, I'd like to have lunch with you. And I said, who, me? Even though we knew each other, but it had never been like that until that moment. He said, uh, she said, you live close to where he lives in California? I said, well, I think I live about 20 minutes because I found out where he lived. <laughs> Nowhere greatness lives when you need it. You better go out and find it real fast. <laughs> so I found out where he lived before he, I was ever invited. I knew where he was. He lived back next to a golf course at Fashion Island in Newport Beach, California, in a condo that his back door opened to the golf course. He loved golf, quit playing, but loved to watch it. And he deserved it. And I remember when I went to have lunch with him the first time as an invited guest, as a minister, I was nervous. I knew him as a friend, as a little boy growing up on the campus and so forth, but this was a different type of invitation. I never heard Oral Roberts complain. I always heard Oral Roberts talk about big plans. On his desk in his office, where the nameplate should be, had been removed, because you all knew what office you were in when you walked in. You didn't have a, have a name up there. You knew you were in Oral Roberts' office. And where his nameplate should be on his desk was this sign. Make no small plans here. Or Roberts believed if it wasn't big, it wasn't God. And believe me, he only dreamed in big figures, big events, and big happenings. And that was so much more fun than over here. It was a deliverance. Your gift will make room for you and bring you before great people in your life. And when the door opens, walk through it. If some of your friends 
can't walk through it. It is their problem. Send them a postcard from your new dwelling place. But some people will not walk through the doors that their gift and God opens for them because of soulless attachments, things that should not be but are, and they lose opportunity. It is hard sometimes with people who you've enjoyed interacting with on a social level when things happen and your gift and God makes room for you at a different level, they, for whatever reason, can't go, don't want to go, or don't think it's their place, which is their business. But you have to say goodbye or alter their, their position in your life. You have to be willing to do that. Not because you're better than them, but because your gift has brought you before great people. Bill Gates is a man that became a world-known entrepreneur with the computer world. Guess who he has lunch with? Governors, presidents, prime ministers, royalty, other billionaires in the billionaire club. The pizza guy doesn't have a right to tell him anything. The pizza guy who has chosen not to develop their life, their gift, gets exactly what he's developed for. But you can't complain about a man who has developed his talent, his passion. It has made room for him and brought him before all kinds of great people. You don't have to have the right last name. You don't have to be from a family of money. You have to let the gift that God gave you acknowledge it, cherish it, develop it, and it'll make room for you and bring you before great people and enjoy the life that your gift brings to you. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Are you enjoying this or should I go home? Amen. How about the balcony? You look too serious. Smile, sir. There you go. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Talking about gifts and callings tonight. This is for everybody. Everybody has a gift. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 4 and verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Underline the phrase in the first part of this verse. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have your gift, your talent, in your earthen vessel. Reach over and pinch somebody very lightly and say, that's their earthen vessel. And then kind of touch and pinch yourself from it. There's your earthen vessel. Your gift, I know it's weird, but you get the point, okay? I found preaching, the weirder you do things, the more people remember it. Your gift lives in your earthen vessel. Your spiritual gift, your talent, lives in your earthen vessel. Your earthen vessel is made up of two, er two arenas, your body and your soul. Your gift lives in the middle of those things. So let's talk about that for a moment. 
Your physical body is a part of how your gift has an earth expression. If you don't care for your physical body, it will limit how far your gift can go and what it can do. For example, let's talk about a famous preacher named Jack Coe. Jack Coe in the 1950s was one of the top tent evangelists in America. His tent was bigger than Oral Roberts' tent by four inches, though. But it was bigger. So we'll give him credit for four inches. He died at 38 years old. He weighed 350-some pounds. That's two more people he was carrying around besides himself. Why did he die at 38? When you weigh 350 pounds and do the work that he did, you'll die too. Well, can't God heal you? No, you stop eating fried chicken. God can help you, but you have a responsibility by which your earthen vessel that your gift sets in has to be monitored, cared for, and controlled, or it can hinder the full extent of your gifting and your calling. Three things the body likes to do. Have comfort, eat, and have sex. Good morning. <laughs> the three dominant things that a physical body is comfort, food, and its sexual drive. Your gift, that prophetic gift, that business gift, that apostolic anointing sits in the middle of all of that. Your gift does not manage your body. It works through your body into the earth. You have to manage your body yourself. That's why some people, like Jack Coe, did not manage his appetite. Even though he'd get you healed, he couldn't control his appetite. And he died for one of the main reasons was being overweight. Now, I will grace him that in 1950, they didn't understand health like we do, but I would have to say, when you're 350 pounds and your chair that you sit in on the stage has to be reinforced because of your size, something should say hello to you. Without being rude, but sincere here. There are people here in this room today with other physical problems that can be managed, but because of laziness or I don't care or God knows where I live and you know where he lives too. So whoopee-doo on that kind of thought. God knows where I live. Well, you know where he lives too, so what's the point? We make up stupid statements to defend our relaxed dominance over our physical being. Moral misconducts. Your gift does not leave you because of a misconduct. But it may have to live through all of the ramifications of a moral misconduct that you get involved in. Does that make sense? Yes. So you have to understand your treasure sits in an earthen vessel. And it is a part of what you have to do, whether it's ministry or business or whatever it is. 
manage that. Or your misconduct of appetite, comfort or laziness, or sexual appetite that is out of control and not in order could cause hindrances to your effect of your gift in the earth. The second part of an earthen vessel is the human soul. It is three main parts and two minor parts. The will, the intellect, and the emotions are the three main parts. The two minor ones but are real are the memory and the imagination. Your gift sits in the middle of that too. Let me explain. Have you ever heard an angry preacher who, there's a difference between preaching strong and preaching prophetically and preaching angry. Now, I was raised with Pentecost where if you didn't make people feel that they're going to burn and go to hell, you didn't have a good service. I grew up with that. I know how to preach that kind of sermon. I don't praise the Lord because I don't like that feeling of having to get saved every Sunday night because I'm going to burn on Monday morning if I don't get saved. <laughs> Anybody else kind of raised around some of that kind of preaching? I know they were sincere, but they were so sincerely wrong. And I remember looking at some of them because in the first parts of my ministry, I knew how to preach those really well because I was raised on them. I know how to make you all feel guilty when you've done nothing. You might die and go to hell if you walk out that door tonight and right. Some crazy man's going to run you over with a truck or a bus, and you'll go into a Christless eternity. <laughs> have the, the flames of fire burning in them, and it's terrible. And they get angry. And so when you hear someone that is preaching angry, if you don't know any better, you hear the God part, and you assume that the anger part is the God part too, and you take the whole thing so you think God's mad at everybody because you can't sort it. Or you're the other group that goes, I'm out of here. I've gone to work Monday through Friday, been in hell all week, I'm not going to church and go to hell. <laughs> so you get up and you leave and you never come back. And you just throw it all out that way, right? Then there's the mature ones, God bless you. You hear the oracle, the God part, and you have to sort through all of the person's anger and bitterness and going to get you. And you have to sit there and you're exhausted when church is over because you had to sort the whole time when you're hearing the message. That's the God part. Throw that away. Uh, God. And you do that the whole time you're hearing the sermon. So by the time it's ready for the altar call, you need healing for restoration because <laughs> you're exhausted because you sit there trying to get the God part that feeds you, that helps you, that gives you that inspiration, but it comes with so much baggage that is the soul affecting the gift as it comes through you. Like I say, sometimes... God's really nice, but some of his kids are just angry. And they project that God is that way when it's just you and not him. That's because the soul part that is wounded, that has been disappointed, that has been hurt, 
has not been properly healed. And as the gift comes out of the person, the sprinkling of the soulish disposition comes in the tone of that message. And it affects the whole congregation. Your gift sits in the middle of your soulish earth man. Every person here and watching me has gone through disappointments, tragedies, woes in their life. It's all Adam and Eve's fault. You get to heaven, slap them, and then hug them. They'll be there. It's their fault. That stupid fruit they ate. If you see a snake, chop its head off. It's better that way. The Chinese people say if Adam and Eve had been Chinese, they'd have ate the snake and not obeyed it. (laughs) Because they eat everything in China. That was a joke now, okay? And if we don't get our emotions healed, then the hurt, the anger, the fear comes in and comes out with our gift. And so we raise a generation that may not know better because you're like this and they all come out like this. You come out rejected, so those that receive your gift and your hurt soul come out with a great thing with rejection attached to it, or a great gift with anger and uh, and meanness and judgmentalism attached with it because of an unhealed soul. When the intellect, your knowledge base of your soul, which Britain has a great problem with, you're the smartest people on the planet. But it's amazing how we've allowed in the UK that your intelligence removes the supernatural part of God's gifting in your life. Some of the greatest educated ministers in the world are in the UK. They've gone to some of the greatest schools, the greatest seminaries that the world has put together. But their intellect has said no to the supernatural side of the gospel has said no to the supernatural side of their gift. So when it comes to the point of stepping over to believe God for a new birth experience, a healing of a disease, the restored life of a dead baby, they check out. And instead of going in with the supernatural and faith, they go into an intellectual base of explanation of why this is God's teaching you a great lesson. When your intellect does not stay subservient to the gift and the power of God, when your gift flows through it, your intellect will dictate what part the gift can manifest. It'll say, show your Greek and Hebrew intelligence, but don't cast out demons. Show your study of knowing ancient history and culture. When it comes time to pray for the sick and honor them with oil, don't do that part. The intellect, when it's not made to stay submitted, humility with learning, in other words, it begins to corrode the supernatural power that's inside of every gift and talent. 
your gift sits in the middle of an earthen vessel. Your body, your soul, your emotions, your intellect, your will. A will that is given over to rebellion and stubbornness, which is a lethal combination. Stubborn rebellion. It's the hardest thing to deliver out of a Christian. Their will, they will not become teachable and stay in with humility. Will cause an arrogance of superiority, self-willedness and self-sufficiency that makes everybody want to throw up and run the other direction. Your memory has to be healed so that when your gift comes out, it will not come out with the sprinkling of a hurt memory of how you were done wrong in the last church or how the last church didn't treat you right or the last believer gossiped about you. I have good stories too. I've been persecuted by the best. I have those memories. If I allowed my memory to dictate to my gifting, I would give you so many, be careful, ooh, be careful, oh, mm, huh. you wouldn't do anything but run for safety. <laughs> I had to tell some of the prophets, you're not prophetic, you're pathetic now, shut up. Because their warnings came from emotional concern, not spiritual insight. And I'm always open to them that bring the word of the Lord, no matter who you are. But sometimes I'm looking at some of these people like, that's not the word of the Lord, that's the word of your head. Because you got done this way. I, I respect experiential learning, but it does not dictate the gift that God gave me as it comes out, nor should it you. Your gift sits in the middle of an earthen vessel. And you've got to take care of your earthen vessel physically and mentally so that your gift can be powerful and be potent and be wonderful in its beauty as it manifests and does what it was sent here in this earth to do. For we have this treasure, verse 7, in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Your gifting sits within your body and within your soul. When I started the ministry, I had to overcome rejection. It's a demon that fights me and always follows me. It's always about four feet from me, waiting for an opportunity to grab me. It came into my life when my parents were divorced. I used to even come to KT and walk back there in the back part of this church, sign books, and the KT people that day would buy every book and get mad there wasn't enough. I would walk out of here, have a meal with Pastor Colin and Amanda and the team, go to my hotel room here, and think nobody liked me. But yet you bought all my books, screamed for more, took me to any restaurant I wanted to in London, invited me back, and gave me a juicy fat offering, and I thought you didn't like me. There's something wrong with this picture. You don't buy people's books because you hate their guts. You don't take them out to a nice restaurant and invite them back as soon as you can come back 
because they're doing something mean to you. But the rejection that was in my soul that I did not begin to work on made me see everything that way. And if you hear some of my messages from those years, you'll hear me give a prophetic word and right next to it, my rejection would give the wrong types of warning or give warnings with the wrong spirit to it. And it came out of the rejection of my soul. I had to, and still to do this thing, have to be careful that in my prophetic gifting, that when I do give warnings, that it's not coming from the memory of rejection and woe out of my life. Because that hurts you, the hearer. And for them that don't know any better, they swallow both the oracle announcement and the attachment of my soul, and they take it both. So they had the birth of that in their life with a great fervent of the Spirit with a rejection complex around it in their life because of the way I delivered it. I didn't mean to, but I did. As soon as you see something, then you must work on it to make it right. To remain in a defense of a weakness is immaturity. To remain the same in the defense of a past experience means that God's Word is second to your experience. Good preaching, Brother Roberts. Amen. My gift lives in the middle of my body and my soul, like yours do. And it is the job of the one who has a gift to work on their body and their soul so that it does not pollute or cause ill adjustments in the heart of the hearer. That's why we don't like angry preachers. We like strong preachers. We like righteous preachers. We like even when the Lord is correcting us, but it cannot be done out of the human soul. Our hurt soul will hurt somebody. As the statement is made, hurt people hurt people. Same is true in the world of ministry. Good preaching, Brother Roberts. Amen. Now, let's go to Romans, the 11th chapter. You enjoying this teaching tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What'd you say? I don't know, but it felt good coming out. It's good to pray in tongues. It makes you normal. If you don't pray in tongues, you're kind of weird. Cheers. Hallelujah. Do you all pray in tongues up there? Do you? Do you pray in tongues? I'm talking to you with your nice little Bible in your lap. Yes, you. All right, just checking. You look too religious there for a moment. Just want to make sure. All right. Romans 11 and verse 29. <clears throat> for the gifts, pearl, and the calling of God are without repentance. Love this verse. 
There's three chapters in my new book that I'm writing. Let's start with the word calling for a moment. Calling is singular, gifts is plural. Another way to use the word calling is an invitation. A calling is an invitation from God to you. Now, you can be born again and not accept this invitation and still be saved. A calling is an invitation of God when he comes to you and asks, will you work with me in the earth in your generation to have something accomplished? It's an invitation. Many times you talk about a calling, people think that they have to obey the calling or they also lose their salvation. Not true. Your salvation is guaranteed by one thing and one thing only. Your faith in Christ Jesus. If you have received Christ as your Savior by faith, then your salvation is secure, solid, sealed, finished. That's it. You're born again. You're saved. Being spirit-filled and speaking with tongues has nothing to do, per se, in your acceptance or rejection of an invitation or a calling. There are many people in London tonight that God has invited them to come and work with him, but they have said no for some reason. It did not make them lose their salvation. It did not make them lose the gift of the Holy Spirit that is speaking in tongues and so forth. You can be born again and say no to a calling. You can be born again and spirit-filled and flow in the nine gifts and still reject a calling, an invitation. Catherine Kuhlman said she was God's fourth choice. He had, God had asked three others that were men, and they all said no. Fools to say no to that gift. Look what Catherine Kuhlman got, and she was God's fourth choice. I've always wanted to know, who was the first idiot to say no? Can I interview you for a new book? called Don't Do This. I would love to have just a tenth of a Catherine Kuhlman thing in my life. I'd be so happy. But I don't have it. I have one of these kabam things I've got to deal with. God's fourth choice. A calling is an invitation. God comes to you and asks you, Will you work with me to accomplish this particular thing I need done in the earth in your time? It's an invitation. It is a divine invitation to say, would you be willing to alter your earth plans that are your rights to have all of these things. To work with me to do something divine in the earth. That's what a calling is. Some callings, when the invitation comes, is nothing more than an inward request that you become aware of 
in a way that you can never doubt that God's asked you something. There's no angels. There's no glorious clouds of, of holy vapor. There's no prophetic words as you're on the tube or in traffic or wherever you are. And all of a sudden, inside of your inner person, you know that Jehovah has asked you to work with him to do something in this moment in world history. And he's asking you, would you be willing to be his earth partner to get it done for the body of Christ and for the human race? It can just be as simple as an inner knowing that you know, bam, what it was, and no drama to it. There, on the other hand, some invitations come with a lot more drama to it. The Apostle Paul, bam, off his horse. Jesus appears, boom. Speaks to him. The vision ends, he's blind. His buddies with him heard voices but didn't see nobody. It's kind of dramatic. Now, here's a point you should remember. Either way, they're both equally important and powerful. One is not greater than the other. Any invitation from God is significant, not how it comes but that it's come. Amen? So, if you're here tonight and you're watching me and you happen to be a person who didn't have Gabriel the angel show up with his big trumpet and go, da-da-da, and you're one of these people at KT who's been faithful to serve this church for 20 years or however long it is, they wear you out. Well, the KT's got going on. But you go and you serve. You endure the rudeness of some people in this church. You go through all the stuff, you know, that every church has. And one day you're sitting at home or here at KT or in your cell group. And the presence of God comes to you in an intimate way and maybe nobody else around feels it, sees it, or senses it. Why not? He's not talking to them. He's talking to you. Your invitation does not become valid because somebody else felt it. It's valid because you have received it and accepted it. When that happens and you hear next Sunday... Somebody comes to KT and they're walking down Notting Hill Gate Road and a lightning bolt hits them. Oh, they're in the underground. They fought out in the underground. The paramedics come and they're having a vision. They're putting all the things on them. I mean, all the wild stories you hear about people and their dramatic happenings. And you think, well, mine didn't come like that. That's not the point. The point for the second time is not how the invitation came. The point that is significant is that the invitation has come to you by God. So don't get caught up in how it comes. Be excited that it came. And
take it with very sincerity of heart and mind. Most people have a non-Germanic invitation. Most people. Not all people, but most people. And when people start explaining their invitation, sometimes we that are listening, we're outwardly going, wow, and we're going, what? Because it doesn't connect the dots for us because it wasn't our invitation. But be encouraging anyway. I said as the principal of the school, I heard all kinds of stories about God's talk to the students. I'm sitting there at my desk and I'm listening. And I'm going, oh, that's nice. And they're crying. Oh, and they're, they're, they're I'm like, wow. And I have to realize every time that I'm not moved because it wasn't my invitation. I'm excited for you. I'm glad to know about it. I'm going to cheer you and remind you what you told me. When I find you not doing what you're supposed to do, I'll remind you. Because I pray for divine interruptions in your life. That I cross your path at McDonald's or Subway and go, hi, what have you been up to? And remind you of some things. God's always done that to me. Sometimes he tells me, get up and go down to this restaurant. And I'll find a graduate from six or seven years ago as a waiter. I don't know why I'm there and I'm starting ordering food in a restaurant I don't even like. And I look up and there's one of my graduates. Thought, what are you doing? They go, what are you doing? I'm trying to order food, but what are you doing? And I capture them. So do you remember when you came to my office? And you <laughs> did all that? It took me three hours to get you out of my office. My whole box of tissues were gone. Can I politely remind you that the invitation of God is never withdrawn from you. It comes without repentance. It's always there. Always there. The invitation. The invitation starts with some people with a yes with conditions. I'll only do this after I've had my third child and they're through college or university. I'll only do this after my house was paid for. It's amazing that you think you can negotiate and win in Jehovah's court. It's amazing to me how many humans think they can go into the throne of God and outsmart Jehovah. <laughs> Just a thought for some of you. A calling is an invitation. You can say no and go to heaven. You can say no and flow in the gifts. You can say no and teach Sunday school or sell. You can say no if you want to. And the word will still work for you. But you won't be as adventurous of a life that you could have had if you would have said yes to God. 
when you accept the invitation of God, it does mean that some things in your life you lay down forever. In a generation that we have today, we don't like to hear about abandonment to self-will or pick up your cross and follow him as it would be preached 50 years ago. But no matter what's being preached, when the invitation of God comes to your life and you accept it, you must know that you're accepting that some things that you could have, that you could have done, you by choice of acceptance have laid them aside to do the work with God that he needs done at that cost. It also means that something that you could do this much cannot only be done this much. Some things disappear. Some things are not as much. That is a part of accepting the invitation of God to work with him. Again, you can say no and still be saved. You can say no and still be spirit-filled. You can say no and still operate in the gifts of the Spirit and have the promises in the Bible still come to you and work for you. But that part that God saw 7 billion people in the world, and out of 7 billion He came to you and said, I want to use you. I have looked at seven billion people and I find you my first choice. That is astounding. That is one of the most astounding Happenings after the new birth in a human life. Out of 7 billion people on the planet today, he came to your house, to your heart, and said, I choose you. I give you an invitation. I am looking for someone like you to do this in the earth with me for this people. Will you say yes or no? That's what a calling is. That's what an invitation is. Many of you here and watching me, God has come to you in some way, maybe dramatically, maybe not so dramatically, and said, I need you. I choose you. I want to ask you, will you give up some of these things, shrink these other things to make space and time to work with me for your generation? I need a new church here. 
I need medical missions here. I need a new Bible school here. I need a worship leader here. I need an associate pastor. I need an accountant. I need you to work with me to get this done in this generation. He comes to your heart with that invitation that only you can answer. I can encourage you. Or I could say, don't do it. Because people tell you both ways. I'm more on the positive side, though. Some of you are raised as preacher's kids. You've seen it all. You're like, mm -mm. Then some of you have worked in church so long, it scares you. It's like, oh, you're like, I've gone as far as I want to go. I get it. I get it. <clears throat> but when you understand a calling, all the things you've seen as a preacher's kid or being around the church most of your life for some of you, he came to the door of your heart and asking you, Will you co-partner with me? Will you be my earth partner to do this divine work for your generation at this time? Yeah, those things you saw are true. The things that you've seen behind the closed doors of churches is true in every church and ministry in the world because humans are involved and the devil fights the church. And things, not every time, is done quite right. It's true. It's true. I will not tell you a lie. It's true. But you serve a good God. And he'll make all things turn for good to them that love him. He'll take the worst happening and make it work for good. I don't know how he does it, but I'm glad he does. There are things that have happened in my life and things I've seen in the world of ministry. I'm like, oh, Lord, take me home today. Now is a good time for the rapture. Just get us out of here. We all have those moments. But I learned if you walk in forgiveness, even when it doesn't feel like it, but you start doing it by faith until it becomes real. And you trust that God will turn everything that was meant for your destruction, your demise, your evil, and make it a stepping stone of goodness in your life. He will do it for you. He'll do it for you every single time. For the gifts and the calling of God comes without repentance. One way this verse is applied is to say it this way. 
When God accepts your calling, the invitation, and you say yes, and the gifts are activated in your life, he's never going to turn to Jesus and say, why did we invite this person to work for us? That's what that verse means to me. Others can do the Hebrew and Greek, but this is the Lairdon translation. <laughs> He's never going to turn to the Father or the Father to the Son. Say, why did we call Colin Dye? He was a ballet dancer. What were we? Did we miss it? Why did we ask Lairdon? He's crazy. <laughs> he says rude things that he has to keep fixing for me all over the world. He's never, that is never going to happen. He knows all things pertaining to you and still invited you and gifted you and will use you. And it doesn't matter some of these little temporal events. God still believes in you like he did the first day he asked you. He gave gifts unto men. Those perfect and mature gifts he gave unto mankind. Inside of every gift he gave that gift the ability to make room for the vessel that it sits in so they do not have to labor long to find their place in the earth. Their gift, bam, boom, and make space for you at the top of the mountain of life. Inside of every gift that he's granted you, it has the ability to bring you out of the mire of unbelieving people into greatness and great people in your life. He put this gift inside of your body and your soul in this earthen vessel and gave you the ability to take charge of every part of you if you do it. To stand up to yourself and say, no, no. Stop it. Get in line, you crazy thing. And to take your soul that's been wounded by disappointment, disillusionment, abuse at times. And he said in Psalms, sort of thing, I shall restore your soul so that when you speak on his behalf and that gift flows out of you, it comes with none of the pollution and the mire of the human experience. That the beauty of God flows out of a human vessel to those around about you. One of the greatest experiences of them all. When you know your shortcomings better than anybody else in the room. And you see the gift of God. You're so glad you got your soul in line. You're so glad you can make that wound get healed and stop talking to you. 
And he removed the stronghold. And freedom came. He gave you a gift. And an invitation. It's up to you. If you accept it. Let's stand. <laughs> Let's lift our hands up for a few moments and just pray in English or in other tongues. Oh, 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 for me, Come on a little bit stronger. Pull on the Holy Ghost in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Glory be to God forever. Fibiki Samana Mahaya Dehia. 
verkiezen aan de gaarheid te gaan. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory. Fede bikini manan For a new day and a new time has come, says the Lord. For new submissions of invitations has come to this generation. For many that has accepted in the past has now come to the reward. And vacancies do now rest upon every nation and every city. Asking has many heard, will you come and work? Will you come and abide with me and do that which I need done? But the vacancies are still not being filled for the distractions of this time, the cares of the moment, and the thoughts that go unchecked for their prayers and their word life is not strong enough to counteract the voice of this moment in time. For there are many here that are listening and sit here tonight who I have knocked on your door. I have visited you not once, not twice, but some even three times. I did heed you when you said, ask me another day, ask me another time. But oh, says the Spirit of the Lord, the other time has come, the other day has passed, and I must not wait much longer before I will go to another to take your place. It is not my will to choose another, but if you heed not and say no, or quit and keep asking for more time, I will go and seek another who will obey, who will accept, who will run the race I set before them. So this day and this hour, says the Spirit of grace, humble yourself quickly and make yourself ready. Humble yourself quickly and make yourself willing. Humble yourself quickly and make yourself prepared for the running of this moment in time. For so is there great need and much suffering because of them who said, wait, wait, wait. And the Spirit of the Lord says, I can wait no longer. I can wait not another season. For the travail of the suffering of this time has come up before me, and I must respond and answer their cry. I seek you, or shall I seek another? Ask the Spirit of the Lord. Ask the Spirit of the Lord. Ha, Yes, I see that. Yes, I see that. Quit negotiating and start believing. Quit negotiating. Quit negotiating. And let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. I hear the Spirit of the Lord keep saying, Quit negotiating. Quit negotiating. And let your yea be yea or your nay be nay. But let it be one or the other. Quit negotiating. Quit negotiating.
Quit negotiating. Quit negotiating and answer with a yes or a no. For the time has come to an end of waiting. For the end of waiting. Yes, I see that too. Yes, I see that. And there are some of you who have said yes thus far, but will not say yes to the next phase of your life in ministry. You like where it's at. And for some reason, you don't want to go to the next phase. It's also time to say yes or no to that. That I will lay down the rest of the cost. I will go for it all. Or this as far as I'm going to go. You decide. And some of you decide tonight. Some of you decide tonight. Ha, solo lokona mambahaya. Some of you decide tonight if you'll continue or you've already reached the height of what you're going to do. Don't let the fear of where the money comes from stop you. Don't let the fear of changing your social life stop you. Don't let the fear of what people may react or say to you. If your God is for you, then who can stand against you? Who can stop that which God is doing through you and the blessing that will come to you as well? Changes have come again to the earth. Changes to the heart and the mind of individuals. Changes to the lifestyles. Changes, says the Spirit of the Lord. Vacancies. Invitations unanswered. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, Laboro Libeli Bruce, Saboro Libia Tabahaya. Hallelujah. 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 Yes. 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 
If you're in a struggle to answer that invitation of God or to go to the next phase of the calling that you've been walking in, and there's a hesitation, there's a fear, there's a, there's a, there's a thing bothering you, and you need prayer, lift your hand right now. I said, that's me, Roberts. I'm not trying to embarrass you, that you lift your hand right now. Up all over the room. If it's not you, don't raise your hand. If it is, raise your hand. Lift it up high. Now here's what I'm going to do. Everybody open their eyes. Keep your hands raised. We're going to pray for these people together. I can't get to everybody. But I want you to reach out. Are you around them? Lay your hands on the person that's got their hand raised all over the room. Just move around. Everybody have at least one person. We're going to pray together. If you have to move from where you're sitting to get to somebody, then do that. God works through you like He works through everybody else. Just yield to Him. Now let's pray in tongues and pray out the unction prayer for them right now, breaking the power of the enemy, speaking the right words over their life, travail and groaning if it comes upon you. Go for it right now in Jesus' name. We lay our hands upon you in the name of Jesus. We command any demonic spirits that may be there to be broken. We command their mouth to go quiet, their maneuvering to cease. We break that hindrance and assignment against you. Loose them and let them be free. Clarity in their heart and their mind. Lay your hands on them and pray boldly and speak boldly in the name of Jesus. Let there be a lifting up of your insides, of freedom from harassment. See clearly, know distinctly. Whoa! In the name of Jesus, travail and groanings with travail and the groaning of the Spirit we help break through in your behalf. Yield to the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, loose him and come out of him in Jesus' name. 
in the name of Jesus. Now, when you pray for a gift, you pray for it. You grab a hold of it. Command this thing to live and to come up out of her. The pressures, the pull to cease its work against her. Let the heart and the ministry that has been granted live and come into the earth in the name of Jesus. Live in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we stir up those insides. We move your gift and calling back into your attention. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Scrub your insides. Move, woman. Come on. Loose her. Let those pulls of the world cease off of her in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Pray stronger than that. Stir it up. In Jesus' name. Live. Come alive. Oh, hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name, we stir it up. We break the barriers. We stop the pull of the world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus, Jesus' name. Come on, a little bit more. Push it. Cry out a little bit more. Come on. Break through to a new place. Let the spirit of intercession with groanings and prevailings return to this house. This people with no fear and no shame. In the name of Jesus. Oh, 
Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We break the spirit of death, the spirit of witchcraft. We break it off of these calls and these gifts and these minds. Loose the ministry to this house. We break the authority of those evil assignments in Jesus' name. If you're still praying, go ahead and just obey the Lord. Don't, don't let me stop you. If God's got you, pray for somebody. And it's still rolling. Just roll with it. It's okay. KT has been known for many good things. And one thing you've been known for is the strength of your intercession, your prayer. When a church goes under an attack, the first thing it gets hit with is its prayer power. The first thing it comes back in its return, its prayer power. The intercession, the strong praying in English and tongues with groanings, travailing, supernatural weepings must find its way back to the normal part of this life, of this church. Now, some of you clap because you know what I'm talking about, because you've experienced it. Others just know what I'm saying, and because you like me, you go, yes, I, I appreciate that. But part of you, you'll have to experience it. But some of you that have been in it have to go first and make a pass and demonstrate sometimes what it is to flow in that so that the younger or those who have never known know that what they're feeling is not strange, it's just the Holy Ghost. Does that make sense? In public gatherings and in your cell meetings, in your cell meetings at times, because the womb of this house is made by the intercession in this house. And if you don't pray strong, tongues, diversity of tongues, groanings, travailings, weepings, and so forth, you'll never have the full measure that God wants you to have as a person and as a home, as a church. 
praying away that where your brain goes, what are you up to? That's probably about normal for you then. When your mind goes, what? Because the utterances and the groanings and travailings that come out of your spirit almost surprise and shock your own mind because it's not the origin, it's the observer. Amen? Lift your hands up one more time. Let's just thank God for what He's done. He's not finished, but we're going to take it home with us. Just welcome it over your life again. Hallelujah. Accept the invitation of God. Make some time this week to seriously sit down and you and God have a discussion over the invitation that He sent you and the gifts that He's given you. There's no church like this in all of London. This has been the womb of greatness for this city, this platform. From George Jeffries, Corsi, to Lewis, to Dime, to this moment. This is a womb. You have to go first, KT. You have to go first. The city is waiting for its leader to go first. Go first. Because what's out there is not first. It is what they're doing because they've not seen the spiritual dimension yet demonstrated to have what they need. They're waiting for the mother to demonstrate and model it for this hour and for this moment. Amen? Amen. Give God a good shot if you would. You have a song? You have a song? You have a song? Go. Thank mm-hmm. you.